Good morning, Solano. My name is Paul, and I'll be reading today's scripture, John chapter 6, verses 35 through 40. I invite you to open up your Bibles and read along with me. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst, shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, and that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, and that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is God's word. Amen. Thank you, Paul. And uh, would you pray with me? Lord, would the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight? You are our rock and our redeemer, and we are glad to be here together and to be here with you. So meet us, Holy Spirit, in this little bit of time that we dedicate to the corporate study of your word during the week um, and, and minister to us by your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we officially start our march towards uh, Easter today. Um, I've got my spring shirt on. Um, it's all the way up to 44 degrees out there, so spring is really sprung, you know, the rain's coming again. Eventually we will get to spring uh, in terms of weather, but uh, as we come towards Easter, one of the things that I often feel, and maybe you feel it too, and, and Martin sort of alluded this uh, to this as well, is that there's a kind of a tension between sort of the inward aspects and the outward aspects of Easter. So by, by inward, I mean there's a tension around sort of the intimate blessings that those of us who follow Jesus and have known Jesus for a long time and, and really have this deep and abiding relationship with Christ, we want Easter to be a time when we really experience the depth and the riches of that relationship with Jesus Christ. And then there's the outward side, which is, which is this deep sense that when you really encounter the Easter message, you realize that this is something that needs to be shouted from the mountaintops, something that we need to declare to the world and share with every passerby. And so there's a kind of a tension uh, between these two. And this year, we've worked hard uh, in our flow towards Easter uh, as a staff and leadership to think through how we can both capture the inward and the outward aspects of the Easter season. So on the inward side, um, I'm super excited about our plans leading up to Good Friday. We're going to have a kind of a study guide come out um, that's going to walk us through uh, a season of repentance, which aligns with what Jesus has done on the cross. And then when we come here on Good Friday, we're going to have opportunity to sort of have a, an experience uh, that we've wor we're working out, which is going to include, you know, you being able to write down some of the things that you would want to confess over the past year and then put those into a blazing fire and see them sort of disappear uh, as a symbol of what Christ has done on the cross uh, in taking away our sin. And I'm hoping, you know, people love uh, our Christmas Eve service and we're seeing just sort of a, a growing uh, tradition around that. And I'm hoping that um, this Good Friday uh, centered around confession and repentance can be, 
can be a part of that as well. So I'm really excited about leading up to that. Um, we likely don't talk about repentance enough. And, and when I'm talking about repentance here, I'm not talking about repentance in the sense of condemnation. I'm talking about repentance for the sake of holiness, for the sake of righteousness, for the sake of freedom, for the sake of grace. It's a, it's a spiritual practice that we probably need more of. Um, recently, uh, I had a testimony around repentance. It was two weeks ago. I wasn't preaching, and I didn't have any responsibilities on Sunday morning. And it was Friday, my Sabbath. And one of the things I love to do on my Sabbath is spend some time journaling. Uh, do this every day, but uh, maybe a longer time on Friday. And uh, I was Sabbath. I was journaling away, and the Lord was really pressing in upon me an area of where I needed to to repent, some an area of confession. I was had to do with me putting finding my satisfaction in the wrong thing. And so I, I journaled it out and sort of processed it through. And I was thinking, all right, I can't wait to go to Sunday. I get to just be Andrew, disciple on Sunday. And we're going to take communion. And I'm going to go and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do business with the Lord over this, this satisfaction thing um, as I come forward uh, to take communion. And so Sunday comes and I'm excited and I'm praying and I walk up. And I get communion, and I, I walk back to my seat. And as I'm walking back to my seat, Miguel starts playing that song, You Satisfy Me. And I'm like, Lord, really? You orchestrated all that going back to Friday? And I had, the, you know, just it was one of those moments where um, you, you know the Lord is doing a healing work inside of you that is not to crush you or, or condemn you, but to bring life. And even as we sang it again today, I was just like, yes, yes, Lord, take me back. You are, you are, the, you are the source of my satisfaction and, and forgive me for those times when I try to find it in something else, in my own abilities or, 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 or proficiency or whatever it is, Lord, uh, forgive me for finding it there and not solely and completely in you, the only one who can actually satisfy. You see, repentance is good. And we need more of it in our lives. And so we're going to go through that journey together. Um, and then I'm excited about the outward side. Uh, uh, because there are opportunities around Easter um, to shout the good news from the mountaintop. I mean, people, generally speaking, know what Easter is. And so it's a perfect time for them to be invited to church or to something else that we're doing. Maybe church is too intimidating. Maybe church is too scary. And so we've got a couple of other things that we're doing. Uh, before Easter, hopefully your home group is working on what we call a Matthew party. This comes from Mark chapter two, where uh, Levi, whose other name is Matthew, is called to be one of the disciples. And what we find in that moment is that right when he's called, immediately thereafter, Jesus is in his house and all his, he's a tax collector, and all his tax collector friends and the sinners are with him in the house rubbing shoulders with Jesus. So that's what a Matthew, a Matthew party is when your home group or a, some group of believers that is connected to you throws a party or does something, maybe goes to a restaurant and you bring in the people who don't yet have faith in Jesus Christ, who don't yet know the Lord and they get to rub shoulders with the people of God and it's messy and you don't have control over it and it's beautiful because you just don't know how the Holy Spirit will move in that moment. That's what a Matthew party is and we're encouraging all of you who are in home groups to have a Matthew party sometime around Easter. I know our home group is playing 
planning for one, and I'm looking forward to it. And then the other thing we already talked about, Martin mentioned it, is that right after Easter, we're going to be starting an Alpha on April 20th on that Thursday night. And so uh, as you're praying and thinking and talking to the people that are close to you, keep that in mind. I have done Alpha a number of times, and it has been Probably the place where I have seen the Lord move in, in, in non-believers' lives uh, more than just about anywhere else. We've done a number of baptisms. The ch- this church started uh, after running a number of alphas in, in our house. And um, it's just a, a, a powerful ministry and a great space for people to be able to think through uh, the, who Jesus is in an environment that's conducive to that sort of processing and letting it be messy and, and, and open. And so uh, that's coming. So today what I want to do, in light of all that, in light of our march towards Easter, I want to awaken us again to our mission, to the mission of evangelism. I want to awaken us to the mission of evangelism. Um, Isn't it funny? You think about, I I just, sometimes I marvel. Every day I get up, it's like I have to reorient myself to what it means to be a human being. Like there's that process every day. I get up and I'm dazed and confused. It's dark out. I, you know, I drink some water. I stand up. I, I like, where am I? I go downstairs. I get my coffee. I read my Bible. And as that process unfolds, I start to remember, oh yeah, who I am and what I'm doing on this earth and sort of what my purpose is. Isn't it funny that you have to go through that? I mean, maybe some of you just wake up and you're like, hey, I'm ready to go. Not for me. Uh, I have to go through that process uh, every day of like, of like remembering what it means to be a human being who loves Jesus and God has a plan for my life and et cetera, et cetera. I feel like evangelism is a little bit like that. We have to reawaken ourselves to evangelism. It's like you lose sight of it and you start doing other things. You get caught up in doing uh, other things and then you get pulled back to it and you realize, oh yes, this is part of why I'm here on earth is to be a mouthpiece for Jesus, to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people around me. And this is even more critical, more important for us because uh, we're in a place where there's very few churches. The reason that we came to plant, Jody and I came to plant a church in this place is because we looked around and tried to find one of the places where there are the least number of churches and the least number of Christians per capita. And the area where we originally started uh, and this area around here is like 2%. So your presence in, here, in, in this place is so incredibly significant. We need to be awake to the mission God has called us to, the mission of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. So uh, I've got three key principles I want to pull out of this text that that, uh, we looked at uh, from John, and then I I want to make some practical recommendations for how we can live out our mission in the next few weeks. But it's not really just the next few weeks. We're going to jumpstart things in this moment, but this ought to be just the standard operating mode for us as Christians living in this place. So open back up to John uh, 6, 35, and let's take a look at some things that we can learn out of this text, and then we'll do some practical applications, and then we'll be done. All right, so the passage that comes immediately before the one um, that uh, Paul read for us uh, here in John 6, 35, is, uh, it goes, stretches back to the feeding of the 5,000. It's one of the most beautiful passages in the New Testament where Jesus sees these people who are in need and he feeds them. And then afterwards he goes to the other side and he, um, 
he's having a conversation with the disciples and the crowds come and follow him and, they're, and then they're having this conversation. They're trying to process what happened with Jesus. They're trying to process the meaning of the feeding of the 5,000. And that's when Jesus makes this very powerful statement. The first thing he says is, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Notice that Jesus does not say, I am a bread of life. He says, I am the bread of life. It's not like the grocery store. I mean, these days when you go in the grocery store and you you try to buy bread, it's like completely overwhelming, right? Because there are literally, it seems like hundreds of different kinds of bread that you can buy as you're standing there looking at the shelves. There's just one bread, spiritual bread for all of life. And his name is, is Jesus Christ, just one bread. So, so all people walking around without Jesus Christ are spiritually hungry and thirsty. Because he says, I'm not only the bread, but he's also the drink in a sense. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And that's not a statement of arrogance. Um, it's a statement that's rooted in, in logic. All people walking around without Jesus Christ are spiritually hungry and thirsty. Um, and you say, well, Actually, I know Jesus, but I feel spiritually hungry and thirsty a lot of the time, too. And that's true. You do. Because you know Jesus, but you haven't finished coming to know Jesus. You're still in process. And so you have moments of deep hunger and thirst. I have moments of deep hunger and thirst. I have in my little Bible that I carry around with me all the time, um, three passages I wrote in on Friday during my set personal Sabbath journal time because I need this food. I, I'm still a work in progress. I'm not done yet. Um, I, I need these passages. These are ones that, that the Lord is using to speak words of life into my heart, right? We're a work in progress. That's why we still feel like we hunger and thirst, but that doesn't mean that we're not called to share the bread with the people around us, even though we're still a work in progress. Um, because the statement remains that Jesus is the bread of life. He's the bread. And one of the challenging things about being a Christian in the Bay Area, I think, is that, um, you know, it seems like so many of the people here are, have, have it all put together, right? Doing big things, making big money, uh, serving big causes, and you can look at that at times and be intimidated by it. I remember moving into my neighborhood uh, now uh, almost 18 years ago. And, you know, I sort of came in with this wide-eyed enthusiasm. I was just like, I'm going to nice these people to Jesus. I am going to nice these. And then I started going about my nice things. And I would watch my neighbors and I'd get to know them and go to their house. And I'm like, these people are nicer than I am. You have that experience? And they're more sophisticated and smarter. Like, I can't win on this. I can't nice them to Jesus. And so it's very intimidating. And I have to fight to look. We have to fight to look at people with an eternal perspective. See, that's the key. It doesn't matter how much a person could have achieved in this life, in this place. Right? We have to fight to keep the eternal perspective. This life, uh, you, my parents are, you know, quite old now and we're in this declining phase with them and then I'm I just turned 52 in February so I think for some reason I've just got this greater sense of the shortness of life and the longness of eternity 
God's just working that into my soul. And man, you know, for however great the achievements are that somebody makes in this life, they're fleeting. They will disappear. They cannot be carried in to heaven except those things were part of service of Christ. And so, and so we have to look with the people around us with that eternal perspective. That's the true perspective. That's the logical perspective. That's the right perspective to see people no matter how amazing and wonderful they are in light of eternity. And that's the first thing we need to understand is that without all people walking around without Jesus Christ are spiritually hungry and thirsty, no matter how satisfied they seem to be with earthly things. All right, second thing Jesus says is here in verse 37. Um, he, he sort of makes a statement in verse 36 about them seeing and not believing. They're hoping for a political ruler to come in and, and, and they're not seeing who Jesus really is. And then verse 37, he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So there's talking about people here. It wouldn't make any other logical sense. Uh, All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Never cast out. This is the will of him who sent me, verses 39 through 40. Um, This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. This is how we get ready for resurrection. We look to Jesus and believe on him. Never, never, ever, ever do we wanna lose sight of the glory and the wonder of that powerful, powerful truth here in verse 40. But if this is really true, if it's really true what Jesus says here, that that whoever comes and believes in him will never be cast out and can lose nothing and will be raised up on the last day. If all of that is true, if we really sit in it and absorb the impact of that incredible statement, then we probably are people who live with way more fear than we need to be living with. We live with way more fear than we need to be living with. I finished a book recently by George MacDonald um, called Donald Grant. George MacDonald, C.S. Lewis called George MacDonald my master. He was the one who, uh, he said he baptized his imagination. And so much of what you understand in Lewis, uh, at least the seed, some seeds of it's traceable back to George MacDonald. And he has this wonderful character, character named Donald Grant who is, is sort of the exemplary believer. That doesn't mean he does everything right, but he just understands who he is in Christ so profoundly that it shapes the way he moves through the world. I want to be like Donald Grant when I read. I want to have that kind of mindset, such eternal perspective that I move through the world in a way differently than I did before I knew Christ. And this is what... Um, what George MacDonald writes about Donald Grant. He says, his life is hid with Christ in God and he has no anxiety about anything. The wheels of the coming chariot, which is a a reference to the fact that we all are going to die someday, right? The wheels of the coming chariot moving fast or slow to fetch him are always moving. And whether it arrive at night or at cock crowing or in the blaze of noon is one to him. God is, 
he says, and all is well. God is and all is well. I've had to put that in my journal. God is, because ultimately that is the statement of confidence that we have in being hid in Christ and having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's got to work itself through all, all kinds of suffering and challenges and discouragement and pain and loss. But ultimately that statement is true. God is and all is well. Nothing puts fear in us, uh, just in my pastoral experience, nothing puts fear in us like the thought of evangelism. Living on mission, right? Um, but if Christ is who he says he is, we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear. If Christ is who he says, if we will be raised up, if, if we're hid with Christ, if, if we can never be cast out, um, if, if, we can, if he will never lose us, then we have nothing to fear. It's interesting in the next paragraph, Jesus will say, uh, no one can come to me, this is verse 44, unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Um, so remember, as you consider living on mission, living into your call to be an evangelist, as you consider living on mission, remember that whether or not a person believes is not up to you or it's not up to me. Only the Lord can bring that about. So our job is, is much smaller than, than we often think it to be. Our job is just to speak words of life, to abide in Christ and bear fruit, as John will later say. Or as Jesus prays as he, in the high priestly prayer, he prays for those who will believe uh, through the word of the disciples. So our job is to speak words of life, to speak words of good news, to speak words of Jesus Christ, and then to allow the Holy Spirit to take that and do what he will. Because we can't save anybody. Our job is much smaller than we often think. We get scared when we outsize our job. When we realize it's just this one thing, then it's okay. And so it's really important for us. I think one of the things that keeps us from living on mission is fear. And so it's super important for us um, not to fear this life of mission. Your life is hid away with Christ. You are okay. God is. Everything is well. And so it's, it's the opportunity for us to embrace the joy of one who gets to bring nourishment to others. That's the, that's the beautiful call we've been given to, to live on mission. When I was a um, freshman in college, I worked at a restaurant called Baker Square. Anybody remember Baker Square? It's like a little bit above Denny's. Um, and they had pies, they specialized in pies, and I was one of the closing servers, and the manager wasn't supposed to do this, but she always let me take home the pies that were about to be expired, uh, and so I lived in the dorm, and I would come home with a stack of pies like this, and people would just become, come pouring out of the dorm room, and I became like the most popular guy on campus, because, I mean, I'd be walking around campus and be like, hey, Andrew, you working tonight? You know, just anticipating. And I had a real sense of joy about um, being the pie guy, the guy who got to bring pies to the dorm. And you need to think of yourself that way, being the gospel guy or the gospel woman. You are bringing something nourishing more than a pie. You're bringing something nourishing and beautiful to others. That's what you get to do. That's what you get to do. That's what it means to be 
I, you know, that's why, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, right? Why, be, why? they get to travel, they're traveling to bring good news. So they're, you get to be the people of the beautiful feet because you're bringing good news. All right, the third thing I wanna draw from this passage is the example of, of Christ as a sent one. Verse 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Like Jesus, we also are sent ones. Uh, you, as we said this recently, you are a mission outpost for the presence of God. I just, that keeps ministering to my soul, that concept. That you're, um, that's what it means to be temple. If you follow the temple all through the Bible, the temple, the essence of the temple is the presence of God. And so what does it mean when Paul talks about us in 1 Corinthians as being the temple? He t- and he talks about us individually and collectively as being God's temple. That means that you are now the, the receptacle for the presence of God in the world. You are a mission outpost for the presence of God. And so when you move through the world, I mean, how, how cool is it? The temple, the early temple could only be in one place, right? The Old Testament temple is just stuck there. And those stones that made the temple were just, were just they're dead. They can't do anything. Palm Sunday, you know, if these people don't cry out, if the, if the stones themselves will cry out. Somebody's got to cry out for Jesus. Well, how genius is it that God took that temple and he said, okay, now I'm going to make the temple the church. And so the individual stones, meaning the people, the individuals in the temple are going to be the mechanism by which this, this edifice for the presence of God is constructed. And so here we are on a Sunday and we're gathered together, the living stones in this place. Miguel just wrote a song about this recently, which we'll have to sing again soon. But um, we're gathered together in this place, but on Monday morning, we will be scattered all throughout this Bay Area where there's so much desperate need for the good news of Jesus Christ. The living stones will be scattered. See, you are a mission outpost for the presence of God. That's what it means to be part of the temple of God. So the question then is, how do you activate that presence? Here's the thing. Because you know, and I know, you can go to a place, the Holy Spirit's in you, but nobody would know it. Because you keep into yourself, and you're quiet, and you're not getting it out there, right? So how do you activate the presence of God in you in the place where you are. And I I think the key is here in this text. Jesus says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. When we can relinquish our will, like Jesus, and step into obedience, we activate the presence of God in the place where we become that temple, right? And that's what Jesus is inviting us into this morning to be people who, who, have, who are activated on mission, doing evangelism. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jody and I were walking um, through West Berkeley the other day. This was like a month ago. And I was talking about these things with her and 
I love this about my wife. She was getting very excited about evangelism, and which if you know her, you know is not a big step. Um, and we're walking down the street and we look over and there's a guy playing in the piano, playing the piano in his living room right next to the street. She goes, let's go meet him. <laughs> Kid you not, five minutes later, we're in the living room. He's playing the piano for us. Jody's playing the piano for him. We're hearing about his past. Um, his name's Paul, uh, fairly older gentleman. And um, <clears throat> I was amazed. You know, I, 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 we, it was a great interaction. Fast forward to Friday. We step into the same neighborhood, and who's the first person we see? And I said to Jody, and this is really, I asked her if I could tell this story. And I, sa- I said, I said, There's, there he is. What's his name? What, what? He's walking across the street. This is amazing. You know, and, and, and she goes, so uncharacteristic. She goes, she goes, eh, I don't want to get stuck in a long conversation. <laughs> never hear that from her, ever. Those of you who know her, you just never, like that's what I do usually. And she's the one who gets me going. And I just, I was like dumbfounded. I stood there for a minute. I didn't know what to do. Who am I? Like, what is happening here? Um, And he's walking down the street and I'm watching him disappear. And I wait one beat, two beat, three beats, trying to figure out what I'm gonna say. And then all of a sudden she turns and makes a beeline across the street for Paul. And we have a nice conversation. He remembers us. We remember him. He says, you got to come over. I'm, I memorized the piece. So I want to play it for you. So now we're going to stop by uh, and go see him. Um, and afterwards, Jody goes, yeah, that was weird, wasn't it? <laughs> that was weird. I didn't want to go talk to him. But then, you know, I just felt the Lord impressing upon me that that's what I needed to do. See, there's something simple and beautiful and wonderful about obedience. And none of us wants to obey all the time. But creating that little space, a few beats for the Holy Spirit to do his work in you as you witness an opportunity before you, that's what Jesus is inviting you to. And that's where it gets exciting, right? That's where life kind of gets unpredictable and wonderful and beautiful. And you get to have an impact on, an eternal impact on the lives of others. Now, in some cases, you don't have a choice about where you're sent. You live in your neighborhood and you work in the place that you work. But in other cases, you do have a choice. And I want to encourage us to be people who frequent the same store. So pick out what are your stores that you're going to go to? What are your restaurants that you're going to go to? Go to those places regularly and get to know the people there. So that you can, you can be a presence, a God, Holy Spirit presence in their lives as they get to know who you are. So the passage says this. These are the three things. Without Jesus, people are starving. You have nothing to fear as you step out to live on mission. Be obedient to your call as a sent one. Now let's get really practical about that. I want you to pull out your phone. Uh, pull out your phone, and we're all going to call people we know right now. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, I want open a note on your phone, okay? 
open a note on your phone. This is not going to hurt too much. And um, Open a note on your phone. You could type on the top of that note, say, pray, watch. You could add the word list, pray, watch, list. And then you can also use the card that we've given out to you. Um, I want you to write down on that, that note the, name, the names of three to five people that the Lord has placed on your heart who don't yet know Jesus, don't have a relationship with Jesus. Um, three to five people that you can begin to pray for. So I'll put Paul down there, right? Put some other people down there on that list. And then we're gonna get really crazy here. So you can keep working on that. Now I want you to go over to your alarm. And set an alarm for 9.38 a.m. every day. 9.38 a.m. every day. Now, you can choose to make it just a vibrator alarm or whatever so it doesn't, you know, uh, make too much of a stink. You gotta go in. I did this last night and you gotta go in and you have to like check it. You have to put repeat and then check it for every day. At least on my phone, that's how it works. On your phone, 938. Now why 938? Because Matthew 938 says, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And you are becoming a laborer in the harvest as you pray, as you become the answer to that prayer. So for these next few weeks, let that alarm go off at 9.38 a.m. and remind you of your pray watch list and let your pray watch list grow as you meet people in stores, as you meet people around. Add their names to the pray watch list and, and it, there we go, Man, people and alarms happen, I love it. This is gonna be great because next Sunday when Pastor Paul's preaching, everybody's alarm's gonna go off. He's not here, he doesn't even know. What happened? So 9.38, um, and we're gonna pray Matthew 9.38, and we're gonna pray for these people, and we're just gonna see what opportunities unfold to, to bring them to a Matthew party, to bring them on Sunday to worship, to bring them to Alpha. This is, this is what it means to live on mission, and prayer is the first step of a life on mission. And it's the first step of what we call um, our, our PABS lifestyle. Those of you who know and been around for a while, you've heard of this before. Um, and so I'm not a big acronym person, and I just feel like I already got called out today by Jim Wu for too much, uh, too many, uh, what, was the, what was the term? Alliteration. And uh, like that was a new experience to be roasted by Jim Wu uh, Sunday morning. So I love that. Um, but, but, we, but sometimes they're helpful mnemonic devices. They're helpful to help us, help us remember. So, and this is what PAB stands for. The first one is pray. Pray that God would draw so-and-so, the person on your prayer watch list, to Jesus. Pray that God would draw, because that's what the text says, is that God has to draw them. There's no other way. But you can enter into the process of God transforming the world through prayer and inviting the Lord to draw the person on your list to Jesus. The next thing is to ask. Show interest in their history, their present, and their future. And this is just an appreciation of the fact that everybody is made in the image of God. And everybody deserves to be known, to be uh, understood, to be loved. And you get to, you get to mirror that divine uh, calling and trait to the people that God places in front of you when you're curious about them. 
and the unique life that they've been given. Bless, find ways to give sacrificially. So you're starting in this moment to um, reflect Christ in his sacrificial love. And as you get to know a person, as you get to, to ask questions and know sort of what the needs are, it might just be that God's given you some sort of time capacity or talent capacity or treasure capacity to bless this person. And you're starting to mirror Jesus Christ as you bless. And then the next thing is that you share. Be open about who Jesus is to you. Uh, I like to say early and often, when you start a new job, let people know that you're a Christian, right? Right from the get-go. Let them know you're a Christian. Let it be out there. Whenever you go somewhere new, talk about, oh, I was in Sunday and pastor said this stupid thing. Um, whatever, you know, just, you blame it on me. Whatever, you, just let them know that, um, that you follow Jesus because that colors all the other uh, elements of your relationship with them. And then don't be afraid to say, you know, I was praying the other day. I'm just so happy today because I was praying for something. I was wrecked and I was praying and I felt like God really brought some healing in my life in this area or he changed this thing. Just talk, like, don't withhold that information from people. Just share your testimony of life as you do life with the people around you. And then lastly, tell. Explain how they can have a relationship with God through Christ. Um, so we have Matthew parties, we have Easter, we have Alpha, but it really comes down to us answering the call to be people who live on mission. And this really excites me, the thought of all of us. I know many of you are doing these things already, and praise God, praise God for that. I've seen the impact of it in people's lives. More and more we want to live into this because the world uh, is dark and desperate, and there's a lot of hungry, thirsty people who need relationship with Jesus Christ. And so uh, we want to live into this. We had an Airbnb guest a while back, and um, he was um, from Europe, and he discovered uh, Acme bread, and he became an Acme bread fanatic. It was the funniest thing. He lived with us for like nine months, not the one, you know many of, you know Tobias, he's living with us now, but... Olivier, he came to to church. Um, he he loved Acme bread, and so every day, you'd first thing in the morning, he would just have a big loaf of Acme bread, and then at night before bed, and then he'd go, you'd always see him rushing off. He was a philosopher, so he just sort of sat in the room and thought all day long. And he was at Cal, and like I don't know what he did, but he ate bread and he thought deep thoughts, and, and <laughs> but he loved that bread. It was amazing. Acme bread. And there are many people who are looking for the true bread, for the right bread. And we know his name. His name is Jesus Christ. So let's show the way to Acme and share the bread. God, would you help us in this, these next weeks, in this season? Would you walk with us? Would you guide us? Would you fill us? Would you remind us of how, how you have nurtured and satisfied us in Christ, so that we might be inspired to shout the good news, to sing the praises, to speak the word, to bear the fruit that you would have us bear in the world around us. Lord, only you can do these things. None of us is smart enough or good enough or sophisticated or nice enough or whatever it would take. 
It has to be you by your, only you can draw people to yourself. And so we invite you to do that through us in these coming weeks and beyond. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks, Pastor Andrew.